This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. You're listening to the Happy as a Mother podcast. Today, I am excited to welcome back Dr. Quincy Gideon to the show. Dr. Quincy is a clinical and forensic psychologist that specializes in trauma recovery. Dr. Quincy was on the Happy as a Mother podcast for episode 79, where we unpack trauma that can happen at the hands of medical professionals. And today, Dr. Quincy is back to help us understand what happens to our body and our nervous system when we experience trauma. She breaks down the three systems of our nervous system and talks about the various fight, flight, freeze, and fawn reactions we can find ourselves in in response to trauma. Dr. Quincy is such a wealth of knowledge on this topic, and there is so much insight and information to glean from this episode. If you've struggled with trauma or struggled to regulate your nervous system as somebody who might be anxious or Otherwise, you are going to love this episode with Dr. Gideon. So get your coffee ready. You might want a pen and paper for this one. Let's hear my chat with Dr. Quincy Gideon. Hey, mamas. Have you heard? Psyched mommy Dr. Asherina Reem and I have joined forces to form Mom Freely. We were strangers to one another just a few years ago. Strangers who shared a similar passion and mission to support mom's mental health. Our vision was fueled by our desire to offer validation through these hard situations and provide education to parents globally. With much of our work running parallel and a shared vision to foster community and support, we've created Mom Freely. Through Mom Freely, we offer workshops, courses, and host our motherhood community called Mom Freely Together. To stay connected with us and learn more from the two of us, head to momfreely.com. That's momfreely.com where you can view all of our current offerings. Welcome to the Happy as a Mother podcast, where we are dedicated to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host and registered psychotherapist, Erica Jossa. Let's work together in letting go of shame and guilt, accepting where we are in our journey, and moving towards becoming the women we want to be. We will hear from experts, learn practical tips, and listen in on honest conversations. Please note that the information shared in this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not replace the advice of your healthcare provider. Okay, let's dive in. Dr. Quincy, thank you so much for making the time to join us again on the Happiest Mother podcast. We had such great feedback about your previous episode about trauma in the medical system, and you're back with us today. I'm so excited. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. This was so fun the first time. I can't believe we get to do it again. And people can't see via their earbuds and, you know, things, but we are semi-matching in fall fashion we today are. with our yellow. And I feel like that's just a good sign for a good vibe for our chat today. I agree. I agree. It's, there's fall in the air and that always, always makes me happy. Yeah. It's so funny. 
I find that trauma is such an interesting conversation to have because there's so many parts of it that we're trying to like demystify and pull apart and understand. So I've done previous episodes on like birth trauma. You and I talked about how we can experience trauma in the medical system, Mm -hmm. the different ways that we can experience trauma because I think stereotypically we think, you know, car accidents and sexual assaults and things that are like big, big traumas. Mm -hmm. So one of the reasons I'm so excited that you're back and I invited you back is to help us understand and unpack Okay, so like we've figured out that our experience is traumatic now, right? Mm -hmm. Like we've put a name to it. Mm -hmm. And now what the heck does that mean for me, (laughs) right? Like how has that trauma changed my body really in a way? This is one of my favorite things to talk about in the trauma realm. I'm a trauma therapist, and I find that when people come into therapy, they are most distressed in the outcome of their trauma, the symptoms that kind of live on, the ways in which it feels like their body is totally betraying them, and how upsetting that is because it can sort of happen in a very surprising way when they've been triggered by something that they don't quite know is a trigger. So for me... For a trauma survivor to start feeling really empowered again, like they have agency over their lives, their bodies, their feelings, those sort of things, we really have to help them understand that trauma really does live in the body. Mm. And it does so in varying degrees. When we experience trauma, we have a nervous system response that is deeply embedded in our biology, in our evolution, in the ways that our ancestors were able to survive in order for us to even be in existence. And that trauma response, that nervous system response, has not quite caught up with our current lifestyle. So Mm -hmm. in some ways, we are still experiencing a bodily nervous system response that harkens back to many, many generations before us when it was really important for our nervous systems to get us either activated or to, in some ways, play possum or play dead in order Mm. to survive whatever traumatic event was happening. And so when you pick up that old evolutionary response, and then you apply it to our current life, really what happens is that we get a lot of really confusing messages from our bodies that really confuse us and cause lots of questions about how we move forward, how we pay attention to that, what parts to pay attention to, what parts not to pay attention to. And it can really be dysregulating, confusing, and upsetting for someone who's already been through a very upsetting event. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I often think about it and describe it to clients as like, you know, we've got this alarm system on our car, right? And if our alarm system is sort of trauma-free and functioning normally in the world and, and on behalf of this car, it only really sounds when somebody is trying to like bar their way and like, mm-hmm. you know, pull the, the door ajar and break their way in and then the alarm mm-hmm. goes off. And now once we've experienced trauma or our body has gone through some, you know, really challenging situation or complex trauma throughout life, whatever some of that may look like, 
our alarm system is like hypervigilant or is mm -hmm. extra sensitive. So it's parked in a parking lot and a leaf kind of trickles down off a tree and mm -hmm. lands on it. And there is a perceived threat there. And our body reacts and responds to that threat in ways that it never did before. And that's super confusing for people to navigate. That's right. I call that the chirping alarm system that's going off, you know, like once it's been set off and then anything that happens afterwards, it'll do that like four beep, like honk, 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 honk. <laughs> to just yes. like, are, are you still here trying to hurt me? That sort of chirping alarm system is a lot of what trauma survivors experience in the aftermath of their trauma while they're trying to put the pieces back together again. And there's kind of three distinct different ways or different categories that our nervous systems respond. Hmm. So I'm going to use a little bit of like theory language, but then I'm going to try to give it some language that might be helpful for people to apply in their life. Mm -hmm. So our nervous system is really made up of three different parts. The first part is ventral vagal. And the way that I like to remember that is like two Vs for peace signs. So ventral vagal, safe and social. Hmm. That is the part of us. Uh, our nervous system is regulated enough that we are both sending signals out into our world, our relationships to others, and we are receiving signals that it is safe enough to be social. It is safe enough to let our guard down. It is safe enough to feel a feeling and know that you're not going to be so overwhelmed that it's totally going to sideline the rest of your day. That is a collective experience. You can be ventral vagal, safe and social by yourself. But mostly when we are ventral vagal, we are also in sort of social environments. We're in our home with our family, with our children. We're with friends. We're walking down the street and we're seeing our neighbors. And the signals that we are receiving, if we are safe, is that we can open up and be social in that moment. Mm -hmm. And that is a co-regulated experience. Mm -hmm. We borrow from other people's regulated experience in order for us to know that it's okay. We're good. We're safe. And we're giving those same signals back to them. Hmm. If we're in ventral vagal. So that's our goal. You cannot in any way be in ventral vagal all the time, but it's the goal um, hmm. for us to get to at least most of the time. And again, that is so when the car alarm system goes off, it's actually indicating that something isn't right and hmm. that you need to do something about that. So ventral vagal is a really helpful way for us to just sort of come back to zero so that when something comes up and kind of triggers our nervous system, it's a real thing. It's hmm. not a memory or a trigger from a previous trauma. It's interesting because as you're explaining that and co-regulation and this system, it just brings up so much like attachment theory in my mind, yes. right? And mm -hmm. how our like safe and support systems help us to co-regulate or even just the presence of our loved ones helps to bring that tension down and make us feel safe. And it really speaks to the power of the presence of those that we are safely and securely attached to. Yes. And, you know, spoiler alert, I love attachment theory and use it so much in my own clinical approach. And what I love about it is that it's so well-researched, like across cultures, and it's consistent across cultures. 
And there is this, you know, huge body of research that shows that we can do something about the things in our lives that don't feel so great. Mm. So if you don't feel safe, we can do something about that. Mm. We can create ways to co-regulate with others, to attach to them, to ask hard questions about why you feel the way that you do in your attachment to them. And I love to blend those things with nervous system regulation because to me, they're kind of one in the same, right? Attachment theory is just talking about the theory side of what science shows us as far as our nervous system responses. So cool. And for like all the moms listening to like so validating for our presence in our littles lives even, right? Totally. Okay. So let's go to the other two nervous system responses. So we have ventral vagal, which is safe and social. And then we have our sympathetic nervous system response. And sympathetic, one of the ways that I like to remember that is that you are sympathetic to the environment that you're in and therefore revved up or activated because of that environment. So this is that high key, revved up, lots of energy, panic coursing through your body, heart rate increases, sweating increases, speech will even speed up during this time, dry mouth will happen. These are all sympathetic nervous system responses. And these are probably the most easy to identify in your world because it's that panicky response, right? So something Mm. happens, a trigger happens. Most triggers are unconscious until we make them conscious. So something in your environment reminds you of some part of a previous trauma and your body takes it from there. Mm. Within a split second, you move into sympathetic response if that's your typical response. And it's a very activated response. You're going to have a hard time sitting still. You're going to feel really agitated. Your muscles will get really tight and sort of ready to fight or flight. Fight or flight happen in the sympathetic nervous system response. Some of the things that I think are really interesting is that points to more of our biological evolutionary responses to sympathetic nervous system response is things like your blood will move to the inner parts of your body. It will leave some of your limbs. So if you lose a limb to a saber-toothed tiger, Mm. you are less likely to bleed out. Why? Because your body has already done all of the hard work of getting your blood to your inner core and keeps it there. It happens in a split second. It's very survivalist. It's lots of energy to do something about the perceived threat Mm. that is in your environment. One of the things that you said is really interesting and how you worded it was that whether it's in our awareness or not, something has happened that has brought us back to that place of trauma. Mm -hmm. So it's so interesting how, because it might be a noise, it could be something that seems so unrelated. Mm -hmm. But what I'm hearing you say is it's something that is like linked to that trauma in some way. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. And for a trauma survivor, they're not typically aware of all of the triggers that bring them back to that trauma response until they can get into a safe and social environment, typically in therapy, support groups, things like that, where they're really supported and held, where they can explore oh, that was the smell of cologne Mm. that triggered me because it has some connection to my trauma. Or it was the way that the leaves sounded when the wind started picking up because that was what happened that night. I remember hearing the leaves that way before the trauma happened on that fateful night. It can really be anything. It can truly be like posture of another person. 
the way they hold their shoulders, the way that they walk, that can be perceived as very threatening to someone who had a trauma that's very related to those Mm. particular features. So our bodies are primed to kind of look for those in our environment in order to keep us safe. Okay. And that's where we can get a lot of these people-pleasing behaviors or these really like what is it called where we like tone, like constantly like scanning and managing people's tone and mm-hmm. being aware of fluctuations in their emotion because mm-hmm. we're just so trying to stay in this place of safety and not rock the boat type of thing. Yeah. So I'm really interested in the four different trauma responses. So fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. Mm. Fight or flight are very energetic responses to a trauma or a trauma trigger. And so those are going to be in the sympathetic nervous system response. We'll talk in a minute about dorsal vagal, which is the freeze response. That's where Mm. the parasympathetic nervous system really kind of steps in, but too much, and it really shuts Mm. us down. But the fawn response is a relational response. So you're still panicky. Your sympathetic nervous system is still activated, but you're trying very hard to get to ventral vagal. Hmm. So for all of the shame that I see on social media around codependency and people-pleasing, I just want to sort of say, give yourself a pat on the back because unconsciously you are doing something that's trying to get you back to a safe and social setting. Mm. And there's nothing in the world wrong with that. You're just going about it the wrong way. And there's help for that. There's different ways that you can do that. That's so interesting. Like you're trying to pull on the secure attachment. You're trying to repair it or reestablish it in some way so that you can soothe. It's really to try and, and soothe and cope in those moments. That's right. And you're trying to do it really quickly. Right. And so ventral vagal is not a quick response. It's an easing into ventral vagal once your nervous system has kind of calmed down because you've done things Mm -hmm. to calm down. But codependency, the fawn response, people-pleasing, it is like trying desperately to get to the ventral vagal Mm -hmm. quick because it feels too threatening to be in that sympathetic nervous system space. Fascinating. So interesting. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the third response, uh, nervous system response, is dorsal vagal. And that is our freeze response. It's a collapsed response. So we're not going to have a lot of energy in this response. My patients report a lot of dread in this space, hard time motivating, hard time getting off the couch. They just sort of want to sit for long periods of time. They are truly, truly shut down. Dissociation happens a lot in this space, but like the body dissociation, like let's just get Mm. out of here. Intense fantasy worlds can actually be created if you're in this dorsal vagal response for extended periods of time. Like say you have a traumatic childhood and you had to get out of your own head in your own body in order to survive. These are the kids that have really intense fantasy worlds and they have a hard time getting out of those as Mm. an adult. And that's a nervous system response. That is a collapsed, shut down, get away from these really unpleasant, unbearable feelings that are going on inside of me. And that's just one way to survive them. Hmm. It's bringing up so many. I'm sorry. I'm going to take you on these little like side steps as you're explaining these because Please. as you're explaining it from like a clinical perspective, I'm like, okay, I'm sure that this could get really misconstrued for like mm-hmm. a depressive state or even uh, you're talking about like the daydreaming fantasies for like an ADHD mm-hmm. type of trait. So how might we distinguish that 
or for somebody who's listening who's like, oh, I really resonate with what you're saying. I've been maybe diagnosed with, you know, seasonal depression Mm -hmm. or whatever. So what typically happens in trauma is that these responses will come up on a given day, a given week, kind of off and on for months, years, longer periods of time. For things like seasonal depression, you kind of feel it kick in, (laughs) like Mm. right when the time change happens, right when we start losing access to sunlight. And it is pretty consistent and responsive to meds. Mm. That's a really great way to know if you're on the right track. If on a Monday morning, you are completely frantic, you cannot sit down, you've rushed through your shower, you have dropped every bottle that you've tried to pick up in the shower, you have stumbled over things, you have dropped dishes, you are just, you've got so much frantic energy in you. And you can kind of pinpoint that back to a hard conversation that you had on the phone that morning that maybe triggered you a bit. Mm. And that's what your morning looks like. And you feel like totally overwhelmed. You can't think straight. You can't sit still. You get honked at in the car because you like weren't paying attention. You were all up in your head. And then by that afternoon, you've completely met collapse You cannot go on. You cannot attend to anything that's happening in your world. Conversations feel very laborious. Forget that workout that you had planned for a week and a half. Not going to happen here. See how in any given day after a trauma, there is a nervous system response that feels really uncontrollable. That's how you distinguish. Hmm. If there is a kid who has not experienced trauma and trauma and ADHD get conflated a lot. I can imagine a lot. Yes. So, but if you have a kid that doesn't have a strong trauma history, and this is just like how they are most of the time, Mm -hmm. there's no difference between whether they're in a restaurant or whether they're in school or whether they're on the playground. They are run by a motor that does not shut down does not turn off, Mm -hmm. then now we're looking at more neurological ADHD, right? So it really does depend Mm -hmm. on the trigger. And so I think people can be empowered. If you do have a trauma history, you can be empowered to just start thinking about triggers in a safe place, perhaps with a clinical person that can help you identify those things. And then you can see sort of the cascade of events that happen after that Mm -hmm. trigger. If you can clearly identify those after a little bit of work, we're looking at a trauma response here and a pretty significant one. And it can be very empowering to know that because that's how we fix it. That's how we help you feel better in your body. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like these responses and these waves are ridden out sort of back to back and and somewhat quickly where like a depressive state, we might stay in that one state for a continuous length of time Mm -hmm. versus like a a big, maybe energetic nervous response followed by a big crash. It's not that like ongoing depressive mood in the background type of thing. Yes. I will also say that those who have complex PTSD, complex trauma – histories of neglect or even abuse, very difficult personality structures in their caregivers growing Mm. up, they are going to stay in these spaces for a lot longer than the rest of us. Okay. So that person might spend months in a collapsed space. Mm. And it's typically because something is going on in their environment that's telling their body that they are not safe. So they might still live with that caregiver that was horribly abusive to them. They might be in a new relationship that 
looks a whole lot like the thing that they grew up in. And so suddenly they're in that collapsed space because that's how they know how to survive that. So there can be very long periods of time of someone being in these spaces. Hmm. And I really think that it takes some trauma-informed either therapist or group support, something, someone that can come into your life and be like, you know, you just hear a lot, uh, but you don't have any of the other depressive symptoms. You're just shut down. Mm -hmm. You're just shut down. You're not tearful. You're just shut down. Mm -hmm. You know, you're not having a hard time kind of participating in things when you have the energy for it. You just rarely have the energy because something is triggering you so much that like, whole days on your couch shut off from the world is actually helpful to you. It's helpful to regulate you so that you can get back to work on Monday. Mm. Those sort of things I start asking, like, what's going on here Mm -hmm. that the world is hard for you to show up to? Yeah. And I think, as you said, like seeing somebody like a provider who's trauma-informed who can do maybe Mm -hmm. some of those clinical interviewing history taking to really parse out and understand, you know, is there a presence of trauma Mm -hmm. here? Is this a contributing factor to our Mm -hmm. moods and how we're feeling, right? Yeah, I think that this is meant to be empowering. It's not going to be helpful fully in diagnosing yourself because I don't think people are great at diagnosing themselves. You don't have the observing ego that we all need (laughs) Mm -hmm. to be able to fully see our symptoms for what they might be or have new ideas about those because we're so in our lived experience. But I do think that there are lots of resources out there that can help you get uh, pointed in the right direction to kind of start this journey. And one of those things that can be really helpful is just practicing calming down your nervous system. I think anyone can benefit from this work, even if you don't have a trauma history. Maybe you have just like a really great anxiety disorder that thrums through those veins of yours all of the time. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have a history of trauma, but if you are in a bit of an activated state and you have a hard time getting out of that, these skills transfer the same. They're helpful in the same way. If you find that these are really relieving and you have a trauma history, perhaps you've landed on some sort of explanation of why your symptoms feel really out of control some of the times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that that's a great sort of distinction or disclaimer to make too because these symptoms, like our emotions and feelings are hardwired into our body and into our nervous system. Mm -hmm. So whether there is trauma present or not, whether it's our anxiety, whether it's (laughs) freaking parenting. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's right. Just living day to day in our environment. We can all benefit from understanding how our nervous system works and therefore how to better regulate those things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we do that in two different ways. There's kind of like a two-step process if you're interested in doing more nervous system work. The first is to map out your triggers. Hmm. Try to understand just in general what your triggers might be to get you into some of these states. So one of my triggers is feeling rushed, like I don't have enough time. Mm. That really amps me up. So I'm not the person that shows up to the airport 30 minutes before the flight. Why? My whole day I'm amped up and I'm having Mm. to do so much work to get me to calm down that it's not really worth it. But that's helpful for me to know, right? Because now I can sort of make decisions for myself that feel kind and compassionate to what my lived experience is. So kind of understanding what your triggers are that get you both separately into sympathetic, but also into that dorsal vagal collapsed response. 
So one of the things that gets me into that like collapsed response is feeling ignored. Mm -hmm. If I feel like my partner, my kids, my like parents, like whomever is ignoring something that I'm very clearly stating, I start feeling really helpless. And that helplessness starts feeling a whole lot like dorsal vagal collapse for me. Mm. That's helpful for me to know, right? Mm -hmm. That's not something that I'm doing wrong. It's just like, oh, that thing happened and I know how I respond to it. So the helplessness is not maybe fully reality. It's just how I'm feeling about it right now based on what I know about myself. Mm Mm-hmm. We're in that situation that you were describing. I would be much more of that. I think it was fun, as you had said, and I know uh-huh. we'll, get, we'll get into it. Is that more like, can I fix it? Can uh-huh. we be okay? Can like, I make can that we, better? Like, mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So maybe you are actually a little bit more activated by that. Mm. Not helpless, but mm. you feel activated by it. And you've mixed that with a relational response to try mm. to feel connection again. Yeah. It's just good to know, right? Nothing to change about it. It's just good to know. And the more that we know these things, the more we can comfort ourselves, the more that we can articulate to our partners what we might need, the more we might be more plain about our experience in order to communicate that to the people that matter. Want to get smarter about your health but feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction? We hear a lot about gut health, microbiomes, and other nutrition topics, but taking the time to research these is exhausting, and there's a lot of misinformation out there. The Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast makes it so much easier to get the information you need. With the help of world-leading scientists, the podcast gives you research-based information so you can make informed choices for yourself without pressure and guilt. People are loving Zoe Science and Nutrition. Listener Stephanie's Apple Review says the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast is a life-changing, science-based, myth-busting podcast. That's a must-listen for anyone who eats food and wants to understand how it affects their body. With the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast, you can join Stephanie and millions of others accessing quality information about their health. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Mealtime with kids can be stressful. But with Factors Delicious ready-to-eat meals, it can be a lot easier. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. No worrying about ingredients and nutrition, no prep, no mess, and no cooking while wrangling toddlers. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular options like Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover more than 60 add-ons every week, like breakfast, on-the-go lunch, snacks, and beverages to help you stay fueled and feel good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started today and fuel up for your springtime goals. Factor can even be tailored to your schedule. Customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Pause or reschedule deliveries to suit your lifestyle. Take the stress out of meals with Factor. Head to factormeals.com slash momwell50 and use code momwell50 to get 50% off your first box. One of the most relentless mental loads is being the juggler of medical appointments. Researching doctors, reading reviews, making phone calls to book appointments, it's a lot of stress when you're already juggling so much invisible labor. That's what makes ZocDoc great for moms. 
ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of highly rated in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. ZocDoc has doctors of all specialties, including therapists, psychiatrists, and psychologists with verified patient reviews so you can make sure they check all your boxes. You can find mental health providers who offer in-person appointments, virtual consults, or both, whatever works for you. The typical wait time to see a mental health provider booked on ZocDoc is just four days. Sometimes you can even book same-day appointments. Make juggling appointments easier with ZocDoc. Go to ZocDoc.com momwell and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated therapist, psychiatrist, or psychologist today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash momwell. ZocDoc.com slash momwell. When we talk about the dorsal vagal, right, Mm -hmm. would Mm -hmm. that be sort of consistent with an avoidant attachment response? Would that be like a disconnecting and a dismissing, a pushing Mm -hmm. away or pulling away, you know? Yes. It's avoidant attachment mixed with a freeze response. Okay. Or it could be. I should say it could be. But in general, it's sort of that distancing, like it feels really unsafe to be close to people. And at the very same time, something has come up that makes me want to also distance from myself. Mm. That's what freeze response will do is like, you know, if you think about uh, biologically what a freeze response is, it's kind of playing dead. It's playing possum. Mm -hmm. So we stop thinking very clearly. We have a hard time seeing nuance. We feel very helpless in that. Our bodies really kind of shut down, slow down in that space our heart rates slow down a lot. Our breathing slows down a lot. And the hope is, is that a predator will not know that you're alive and prey mm. at that point, right? You're truly trying to just let the threat pass. Mm-hmm. So that's what dorsal vagal is initiating in the body is that intense freeze response. And that can very easily be paired with an avoidant attachment. Mm-hmm like a means of coping or dealing with is to mm-hmm. really distance and either repel from, you know, push away or mm-hmm. withdraw from those we love, mm-hmm. things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And those that might give you feedback about something, for those that are in a dorsal vagal, it can't be heard. Mm. You're too shut down for that. There's not a lot of higher order thinking happening in that time. There's some, but there's not like Your logical parts of your brain are not fully online. You're having a hard time remembering all of the different pieces of information. You just remember the threat. You feel helpless to it. You shut down and wait for the threat to pass. Would this be consistent with, I'm thinking about, I had taken in a trauma training with like Dan Siegel and like all these other Uh um, like specialists. Would this be consistent with the state that we actually enter into in a really intense trauma Because there is a state that will actually like release endorphins and allow us to essentially disengage from – Exactly. Not feel pain Mm -hmm. of the experience Mm -hmm. that we're in. That's dorsal vagal. Okay. It's just a different word. There's lots of different theories that talk about the same response. Okay, gotcha. And so dorsal vagal or collapsed or freeze response – all of those kind of have the same features. Okay. And one of them I think that is very interesting is that we have a dump 
of dopamine, which is a pain mitigator. And so when that happens, when we're in that freeze response, we stop feeling things. And this is actually consistent with what they find in research is that physical pain is not as attended to. So I actually think about this a lot going back to medical trauma Mm. and some of my patients that have like long-term fertility issues, endometriosis, pain-related disorders, the ways in which that level of pain being present in their everyday has actually initiated a dorsal vagal or a freeze response because that's the only way that they can get through the day. Mm. Fascinating. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a very interesting thing. And you'll and you'll sort of see it clinically, right? Someone has some sort of pain disorder like endometriosis. We're kind of talking about it. I'm asking how that feels in her body. And she's like, I wouldn't know. But if you look at her life, there's lots of shutdown responses, lots of collapsing, lots of ways in which like seemingly small triggers send her over that dorsal vagal edge and mm. cause the rest of the evening needing to just sort of sit still, watch Netflix, not do all of the things that you had on your list, avoid anything that feels just too upsetting. Mm-hmm. And I have to imagine that those things are connected. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can see that. I can see that. And as I'm reflecting, I'm just like, you know, pulling on client experiences and things Mm -hmm. that people have said. Like, I can see how, you know, if we just need to go and lay down and be in a dark room or Mm -hmm. have our weighted blanket or have our bath or just really Mm -hmm. need to retreat and pull into ourselves because of some disruption that's come in the day with the kids or with family Mm -hmm. members, right? Mm -hmm. It's like we cope until a certain point of the day or something comes our way and it just shuts us right down. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, so our nervous systems are not just at work in trauma survivors. They're at work in everyone, right? So these are normal responses that happen for all of us trying to survive something that felt overwhelming. Mm -hmm. For a trauma survivor, they're just going to be harder to shake. Mm -hmm. And they come at really unexpected times, again, if you don't know your triggers. Mm -hmm. So that might be one of the distinguishing features. If someone isn't a trauma survivor, they might just be able to say, well, my kid acted a fool Mm. in the grocery store. I was so humiliated. (laughs) I left the entire grocery cart right where it was and dragged him or her back to the car. You can identify the thing. And then the screaming car ride, you can identify the thing that causes you to just like partner gets home, go to bed, put a blanket on, lights are low, retreat. Yeah. Yeah. For a trauma survivor, they might have a harder time doing that because it was like the smell of someone's cologne and they didn't make that connection. Yeah. So they move into this collapse response, but they don't quite know why that happened. Okay. And I can imagine that knowing why is so important because it feels so unpredictable and like you are helpless and don't have control if you don't know mm-hmm. what that trigger was. That's right. Mm-hmm. And you don't know how to comfort yourself, mm-hmm. right? There's a version of this for trauma survivors who – don't quite have the instincts of how to comfort themselves. So they might be really shut down. They might be in that collapsed response, but they're shuffling around their house and they don't know what to do for themselves. Mm -hmm. They just feel terrible, but there's no instinct around what to do for themselves, especially for complex PTSD when they didn't grow up with caregivers that were responsive to their pain. And so they might just feel lost and overwhelmed and shut down and dissociative and they have no idea what to do for themselves. When other people might feel like, I need a weighted blanket, I need a hot cup of tea, I need the lights down low, and I need time away mm-hmm. from everything. Mm-hmm. Okay, so interesting. So can we sort of recap those three? Because I'd love to move into the responses, as you said, the fight, flight, or freeze sure. as well. Mm-hmm. 
Sure. So there's ventral vagal, safe and social. There is sympathetic, which is you're sympathetic to whatever's going on around you and really revved up mm-hmm. about that. Mm-hmm. And then there's dorsal vagal, collapsed, a collapsed freeze response. Okay. And so the fight or flight happen in the fight or flight happen in the sympathetic, sympathetic. nervous system response. And then freeze happens in that collapsed dorsal vagal response. Okay. If we talk about fawn, it's a mixed state. Okay. So it's a mix between sympathetic nervous system and you're trying to get towards ventral vagal. Hmm. So it's kind of both. It's that relational part of it while you're also really activated and desperately trying to not be activated anymore through relationships. Okay. And how does fawn play out? Because I've heard about fawn a lot and it is, I feel like, less understood, mm-hmm. less talked about, especially in like mm-hmm. the clinical space. So can we unpack what that looks like a little bit? Yeah, it's rather easy. It's that mixed space mm-hmm. between sympathetic and the ventral vagal. So fawn response most easily translates to things like people-pleasing, codependency, frantic efforts to re-engage with a person who might still be hurting you. If we think about where the fawn response comes from, we first articulated that a fawn response was happening outside of fight, flight, or freeze when we were looking at people that had been captured Mm. or were enslaved and the ways in which they began having a relational response to their abusers in order to get either better treatment, in order to survive a little bit longer, in order to, in some ways, get a little bit better than the dismal treatment that they were getting. Hmm. Uh, So this is the person that is in prison and makes friends with the prison guard because they'll get an extra piece of bread, right? This captor, (laughs) this person that has a lot of power over them, is holding them captive, is not in any way someone you would want to be friends with, right? Mm -hmm. This goes against all of our social norms. But in a trauma setting, that fawn response helps you engage with people who are actively hurting you in order to, or actively a part of some kerfuffle, (laughs) some Mm -hmm. issue, relational Mm -hmm. issue, and you engage with them in a way that helps you feel more powerful, helps you feel like you have more agency. So that's where it starts. That's where a fawn response starts. And that Mm -hmm. can start generations before you. Uh, It can be deeply embedded in just like a family pattern Mm -hmm. of how you respond to really difficult relational interactions. But the way that it plays out in your adulthood is that codependency, that people-pleasing, I'm really activated that you might be mad at me, that I hear a hint in your voice that I have misread something, that you're going to be upset with me in some way, and then that desperation to get to the ventral vagal where everything is safe and social. And that typically happens on the backs of the person that's activated. So that means that they're overextending themselves in order to get to that Mm -hmm. ventral vagal space. But the partner that they're in relationship with or the person that they're having the conflict with is not having to do that same amount of emotional labor. Mm -hmm. And as you're describing it, it sounds like a very adaptive, Mm -hmm. like, you know, We're adapting in the moment to try to survive or Mm -hmm. soothe, but as it plays out, and maybe like in childhood, like that's what we had to do. That's right. And then as it starts to play out in our adult relationships, it might look more almost like harm to ourselves in a way Mm -hmm. if we're over giving Mm -hmm. of ourselves to people in our life or we are 
overtaking responsibility mm-hmm. for the care and emotions of others and things. So there's a time in which this may have been adaptive to like protect us, it sounds like. That's right. Yeah. And it's just stopped working for you now mm-hmm. because relationships were never meant to be that way, right? They were meant to be a co-creation by two or more people. But in the fawn response, if it goes unchecked, it starts as a survival response that then turns into a way of being mm. that is never actually going to get you to that space of thriving, which is what mm-hmm. we're hoping for. So you've taken one thing that helped you survive, you've picked up that template, you've applied it to your adult relationships, and that's no way to actually thrive because we can't take care of adults' emotional experiences. We cannot actually prevent them from feeling negative things towards us. We Mm -hmm. couldn't possibly be mind readers and anticipate every single thing that someone is ever going to feel, think, say, behave, right? We couldn't possibly do that. But if we feel like that's our responsibility, then we're going to try because that's what we had to do in childhood. And we're going to be exhausted. So we're going to be activated. We got to do this. This is the way that relationships work. And then totally overextended and exhausted from that. Yeah. Yeah. And fight or flight, I see as being more like detectable or more disruptive. Mm -hmm. Like you think about, you know, with your kid or I think about the kids in class who are like the most disruptive are the ones that sort of get their diagnosis or get Mm -hmm. their accommodations or get their whatever. In the same way here, when we've got fight or flight, they are more easily recognized and called out. But when we've got this response, it's almost like then we're Mm -hmm. reinforced for this behavior and people praise it. Right. Right? Yes. They praise it and the people that are benefiting, they get to underfunction because someone else is overfunctioning. They're rarely going to give you feedback that that needs to change, right? Even if that's like a totally unconscious thing. It benefits other people to not have to do so much of the emotional labor. And so there's rarely going to be a reckoning unless, of course, the fawn responder, the codependent responder, actually puts up some boundaries and says, I can't do that anymore. I can't do that part of the work anymore for you. Hmm. Yeah. Overfunctioning. I feel like that's such a good way to sum it up. And and I had listened when Brené Brown had first launched her podcast about like this over versus underfunctioning. And I think that that's such an interesting way to describe essentially Mm -hmm. this trauma response that we're talking Mm -hmm. about. That's right. Yeah. For those who don't really know what we're talking about when we're saying over-under-functioning, can you maybe put some words to that a little bit? Sure. So as adults, we have some responsibility. We have emotional responsibility for what's going on in ourselves. We show up to different interactions. We do our part We have to actually talk a little bit. We all have a function that we have in any sort of interaction, in any sort of daily life. When someone feels triggered or they feel like their relationships could end at any time, if anyone possibly was disappointed in some way, then that person is really motivated to over-function. So now you're not just managing your emotional responses, you're also trying to manage other people's emotional Mm. responses. You're not just managing your behavior, like how much you drink that night. You're also really managing someone else's behavior and how much they drink that night and what happens after and what you're going to do about it and how you're going to coach them through it later. It's an over-functioning. It's an inappropriate taking on of adult responsibilities that someone else should really be taking Mm. care of because 
they're an adult and they can take care of these things. And that's the point in order to have safe and social relationships. Talk about that nervous system response. In order for you to actually feel safe in relationships, you need to be in relationships with people who do their part. But as long as you're over-functioning and they're under-functioning, they're always going to send you signals that they are not, in fact, safe. So that keeps you in the trauma response, right? Mm-hmm. And I can see how so much of getting out of the trauma response then is surrounding ourselves with people who are safe and ha- like who understand boundaries or learning how mm-hmm. to set boundaries so that mm-hmm. we can be in this safe and social and regulated space, right? Like if I'm struggling to regulate my trauma response and, you know, struggling with feeling like I need to like overfunction and mind people's behavior around me and things, I feel like that response would feel out of control mm-hmm. if I'm constantly around the people who maybe were part of the abuse or trauma to begin with, for example. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And this is where trauma can get really sticky and complicated because those that have been traumatized for a long time sometimes continue to have relationships that are traumatizing. Yes. And so whenever we start challenging these like, gosh, you haven't felt safe in years. Right. uh, When we start challenging some of those things in treatment, it can be really overwhelming to think like, I have no one that's safe. Mm. But that's honest. That's Mm -hmm. honest. They don't. They don't have anyone that's safe other than maybe the new therapeutic alliance that's going on in that time. So a lot of the work before we even start challenging some of these things is just to find safe people that you can relate to and feel supported and validated by. Yeah. And sometimes that means that we're in kind of an extended period of just like trying new places, uh, trying new mom groups with people that are healthy, trying new support groups, Mm -hmm. getting into therapy more consistently. And we're trying to just build up some of those things because it does matter. It counts in the end Mm -hmm. on whether someone can actually deal with some of these dysregulated nervous system responses. Yeah. Yeah. And for some of my clients who've gone through a lot of complex trauma, that might even be an animal to start with and not even a person. That's right. Right? Yeah. Start small. It can be an animal. It can be volunteering at an animal shelter for one hour a week if you can't do the like 24-hour care. But just that like regulating presence of a creature that is so Mm -hmm. excited that you exist can do wonders for people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So let's talk about how, okay, we've identified that we're in these states, Mm -hmm. right? And maybe I am, and I'm assuming that the recommendations are going to vary depending (laughs) on the state that we're in, right? So maybe let's go with like, I'm feeling really activated. Mm -hmm. I'm feeling really like I've had this surge of energy. My toddler accidentally just punched me in the face or intentionally punched (laughs) me in the face. And I am like triggered Mm -hmm. by all the things. Mm-hmm. What are some ways that we can regulate an activated nervous system? An activated nervous system is going to require two things. The first is discharge of energy. So your body has just dumped a ton of adrenaline and other chemicals to help you literally fight or flight. That saber-toothed mm-hmm. tiger, and turns out it's just your toddler. And so we Mm -hmm. don't need to fight and we can't run away, right? So discharging that energy. So that can really mean anything that feels good to that person that's safe for everyone. So it could mean 
walking away for a second and like air punching in another room, Mm -hmm. like just discharging that energy. Mm -hmm. It can be really making your workout a priority that day because of the physical discharge of energy that might happen. It might be strapping that toddler in a stroller and going for a long walk. And while doing so, while discharging the energy, there also needs to be some self-talk about how you're going to be okay. Mm-hmm. So we're not reactivating that system That's right. again. Mm-hmm. That's right. There's also other things to stimulate the vagus nerve, which gets you into ventral vagal, and that can be used with any, both in dorsal vagal or in an activated response. Some of my favorite are gargling water. So if you get punched by your toddler, just go into the kitchen and gargle some water for 15 seconds. Mm -hmm. Swallow it, gargle some more water until you start feeling calm again. Humming and singing both activate that vagus nerve, which can be very helpful. Mm -hmm. So if you get punched by a toddler, turn on some music and sing together. Mm -hmm. Something that just sort of helps you feel a little bit more calm, but you're also doing something on your own behalf. In sympathetic nervous system, you actually need to do something that is signaling to your body that you've got it covered. We're going to be calm here in just a second. Just stay with me here. Mm -hmm. That's a really important kind of uh, perspective to take. And the vagus nerve, for those who are unaware, is the longest nerve in our body, very integral part of this regulating nervous system that we want to bring on Mm -hmm. board when we're very activated, right? That's right. And when we're collapsed, we want to stimulate it when we're collapsed so that we can come back into more safe and social interactions. Mm -hmm. Okay. So Mm -hmm. discharging the energy and sorry, what was the other part of that one? And then talking yourself through and comforting things, like just doing anything that feels comforting in that moment and letting yourself know that you're almost done with this response. You just like need a moment. The point of doing that is so that these responses don't go on all day. Mm -hmm. We don't want to get stuck in a response and trauma survivors oftentimes do because when trauma happened to them younger, it was a whole day affair. And so Mm -hmm. they had to stay in that response in order to survive it. But what we want is we want a flexible nervous system. Mm -hmm. And this is one of the ways that we do that. We talk ourselves through it. Okay, you just got punched. That never feels great. Your body's going to tell you to punch back or to flee the situation. That's what all this energy is for. Let's put that energy into something that's helpful to you. Cook a meal, sing some songs, air punch out in the backyard, like whatever (laughs) you need to do. Like just get it Mm -hmm. out. And then we're going to come back down to a regulated space versus a replaying of the event and seething on it and you know what a little like turkey or Mm -hmm. whatever choice words you know that this just happened and then we're just sort of reactivating reliving that frustrating moment okay and then we can't get out of it yeah so then on the collapsed side we want to take small incremental movements towards getting back in our bodies So that can be things like a weighted blanket, turning down the lights, engaging in your environment now that you've made it a little bit more safe, less bright, less tense, might be going into another room. If you've been kind of collapsed on the couch all day long and you know that this is from a trigger, then a slow walk around your house, not Mm. outside. (laughs) Let's not push it too much. Just get up and walk around your house just once. And then you can come back and lay down. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And then in an hour, let's try it again. Let's get up. Let's do two laps around the house. So we're just trying to make small incremental movements towards re-energizing ourselves, reminding our bodies that we're here. We're here to help you survive. You can do this. This is not unbearable. Hmm. And then, of course, a lot of that self-talk really does matter. So you're going to be okay. You're just kind of shutting down right now. That's why it's hard to move. You are not morally inept. You are not a terrible mother. Hmm. You are not a, you know, whatever piece of whatever. You are just collapsed. Mm-hmm. That's okay. Mm-hmm. Everyone in the history of everyone has had a collapsed response. That's all you're in right now. Mm-hmm. And so let's just get up. Let's just take one lap. Let's see what happens. And you can get back under the weighted blanket. Let's just get up and make some tea. Stand there while you're making the tea. Don't go sit down. Stand there and just see if you can engage with it for a second. Okay, your tea's made. Head back to that couch. You've earned it. Mm-hmm. It's just those small incremental ways that we're kind of coaxing ourselves into knowing that our environment is safe, but we won't know that unless we test it, mm. right? That's part of that ventral bagel is you've got to like test the environment and know that like, okay, I didn't like fall apart. Okay, this wasn't as bad as I thought it was. I had a horrible amount of dread about walking around the house and look, I did it and I'm back. A lot mm. of that self-talk really matters. Okay, And when you say getting back into our body, mindfulness being too much at this stage? It might be. Yeah. But it might not be. For trauma survivors specifically, mindfulness can be very tricky. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say that for other diagnostic categories, but it does end up being really overwhelming to a trauma survivor specifically. So if that's where you're coming from, no need to force yourself. We're just noticing things like our body. So our toes are wiggling. Mm -hmm. What does the chair feel like? What does it feel like to like move my shoulders and my arms back and down my back just to like stretch a little bit? So some of the more like grounding aspects of mindfulness where we're engaging our senses and not so much like in the thoughts part of things. Like Yes. The thoughts can get really scary really quick for a trauma survivor, especially if they have a lot of negative self-talk. So we're just trying to ease ourselves into like saying one nice thing to yourself if you struggle with that. Like just try to reframe this one loop around the house in dorsal vagal. Mm. Try to say one nice thing about something that you've done today. It just starts small. Yeah. Uh, But like forcing yourself to sit down for like 15 minutes of meditation is likely too much and it will shut you back down. You'll go even further into dorsal vagal. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I tend to think about mindfulness and how it's used with moms and a lot of the clients that I work with, it's like these very sort of grounding and intentional moments in the busyness of mothering, right? Mm -hmm. And less of like, let me carve out 15 or 20 minutes to like observe my thoughts, you know, going Mm -hmm. by because I can see one, how that can be very triggering and two, Mm -hmm. how a lot of our audience wouldn't have time for some of the those meditations and things right now. But that experience of really tuning into your body and maybe how that warm tea feels in your hands Mm -hmm. or the spoon as it's clinking as you're stirring your tea before you go sit back down and maybe, you know, scroll on your phone again or whatever. That's right. Yeah, just small little incremental moments. And then praise that like you would praise your two-year-old for doing something really great that they're struggling to do. We have to mother ourselves in so many ways in these trauma responses. And I think that that's a really healthy response. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
And I think that one of the really encouraging pieces that I'm taking away from this today too is that through some exploration with a therapist or, you know, like a trusted care provider who's trauma-informed, you can learn your triggers and you can regain some, like you said, agency and autonomy and control over these responses. Mm -hmm. Yes. The agency is the thing that we're after. We want you to feel safe, but we also want you to feel like you can make decisions for yourself that actually feel good. Mm. That tossed around feeling that mothers have in general, <laughs> right? but then you add some trauma to it is, in my opinion, one of the most tortured existences. When you don't get to choose anything that's happened to you and now your body is betraying you too, game over. Mm. How would any of us want to do anything but sit on the couch and Netflix all day? Right. right? Like that's the only way to survive that. And so we have to both feel safe in order to explore our agency and then practice agency, practice empowerment, practice the way that we talk to ourselves practice feeling powerful enough to like get up off the couch and that that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. You did it. Mm -hmm. You did that. And that was enough. Right. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's so interesting. So the step in, in regulating the nervous system, reassuring that we're safe, mm -hmm. and then we can really work on those other agency pieces like the self-talk and the boundary mm -hmm. setting and the other important pieces that need to come in order to like protect that safety more or less. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Once you've established safety, it is your number one goal to keep it. Mm -hmm. And I think if we are thinking about safety in that way, boundaries are much easier to set. Yes. Because it has everything to do with how you function every single moment of your life. Do you feel safe? Then you are able to be way more present and grounded. Do you feel unsafe? You'll be back in those nervous system responses and so now boundary setting is like, oh, I don't want to go there. It's essential. Like I have yeah. to. Yeah. The rest of the day. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Good. Yeah. So interesting. I feel like now we could do another segment on like boundary setting or this could go in so <laughs> many different ways. So I know. I'm sure I'll be knocking on your, you know, virtual inbox door sometime soon to elaborate on some of these topics and things. But thank you for absolutely for your time today. I always find our time together so insightful and I learned so much from you. So where can those who are unfamiliar with your work, where can they find you? Where are you hanging out these days? I hang out most on social media on Instagram and I'm at Dr. Quincy there. I talk all about this stuff. Trauma, the body, the brain, how it plays out in all different kinds of ways. It's my favorite thing to talk about, if you can imagine. And then I also have a teaching platform where I teach people about these subjects, so anything trauma-related. So we have a codependency course. If some of that fawn stuff landed in you, we have an attachment course that I'm teaching right now, which has been so lovely to just empower parents to feel like they can attach to their kids in a, mm. in a meaningful way when maybe they didn't have that growing up. Mm -hmm. We also are working on a nervous system course that will probably be ready in the new year, but we're working on it. So people can come and hang out with us there. It's traumastery.com. So like monastery, but for trauma survivors and their families. So traumastery.com. I love that. And we'll link it all in the show notes so that people can easily click through and find your resources because I find your work so empowering. And I know that you're going to help so many individuals and families uh, as a result of your work. So thank you. Thanks for having me. This is always so delightful. The best part of my week. Thank you. 
I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for the resources and things that were discussed in today's show, you can find them in the show notes, which is linked in the episode description, or you can head directly to happyasamother.co slash podcast and find all of the show notes there. If you're looking for support and connection with other moms, you can head over to facebook.com slash groups slash happy as a mother and join our Facebook community. This community is filled with women just like you and I who want to support and uplift one another through our postpartum journey. And until next episode, mama, I want you to know, keep showing up. You're doing a great job. Settling is not an option. Everything I desire is already mine. What if you can have it all? Because every day is for the girls. Hello, hello. Welcome to For the Girls podcast, hosted by Victoria Alario, For the Girls Who Want More. Listening to For the Girls will have you ready to raise the bar, stop settling for the bare minimum, and start believing you can have it all and step into the 2.0 version of you. You can catch a new episode of For the Girls every Monday across all podcast platforms. Until next time, girls.